I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Appreciate Pastor John doing Joshua chapter 7 last week. So grab your Bible and we're going to jump into uh, Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8 as uh, we continue our series. Now you might notice this little tool right here uh, that we've added. We've actually been working on this for about a year and we finally got all the wires right and uh, got everything fixed. And so this is primarily for me as teaching uh, when I'm teaching and I turn around and I do this, you know, it's a little bit different. I can do this as well as our folks that are watching online. Uh, when we uh, put a verse up or a quote up or something like that, they'll be able to see it. If you were to find yourself at home uh, on a Sunday watching, uh, you'll be able to see the, the outline and the quotes and so forth. And so that's just something new that we've added. Joshua chapter 8. I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. Uh, your assignment is going to be to read a portion of it, uh, but uh, I gave two assignments in the first service today. Let me give those again. I didn't say this about Pastor John. Uh, he came to us from Pascagoula, Mississippi. He hates it when I bring this up, but I have to do it. Um, how many of you have heard of Pascagoula, Mississippi? How many of you have heard it called the Sleepy Little Town? Okay, is there, Do you know why it's called the Sleepy Little Town? Um, you, when you woke up this morning, you weren't thinking you were going to get this great knowledge at church today, okay? How many of you know who the great theologian Ray Stevens is? Some of you are like, oh, okay. So Ray Stevens did a song many years ago called the Mississippi Squirrel Revival. How many of you have never seen that before? Raise your hand up. Come on. You've never seen the Mississippi. Where have y'all been your whole life, all right? So you got two assignments today is to go home and get on YouTube and look up the Mississippi Squirrel Revival and you will be blessed. And then to read the whole chapter of Joshua chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then I'm going to read verses 30 through 35. We pick up in chapter 8, uh, 7 and 8 are linked together obviously is this story of the children of Israel going against in their conquest against the city of Hai. Now, uh, I grew up here in Ai. Can I get a witness? Uh, the correct enunciation is Hai, like with an H, Hai. So I might say Ai and I might say Hai. You'll know what I'm talking about, all right? Here we go. Joshua chapter 8, verse number 1. We've just finished up with Achan uh, being uh, covered up with a a great heap of stones at the end of chapter 6, as John so adequately preached on last week, that sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. And we need to deal with the sin in our hearts and, and in our lives. And now we get the rest of the story. In a message today, we've entitled The Comeback. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to high. See, I have given into your hand the king of high and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to high and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. 
lay an ambush against the city behind it. A very clear directive from the Lord. This is how I want you to re-engage. We could call this chapter the rematch, if you will, all right? Uh, Joshua, this is how I want you to do it this time. Now, let's skip over the battle in verses 3 through 29. I'll walk you through that in just a minute. Uh, But I want to come to the end of the chapter and read verse 30 to 35. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. They offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. And this is the word of the Lord. Can we pray together? Would you bow your head and just pray a pray a simple prayer in your heart that God would speak to you now that this would not just be an information session since we know that all scripture is profitable. We know that God has a word for us today. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you need a comeback. Maybe you feel like you failed. You've come up short. Maybe you've got something that's paralyzing you that you've done, and God brought you here today to remind you of His grace and to remind you that you can have a comeback, you can have a restoration in your life as we see here in the nation of Israel. Lord, I know that this passage has been a blessing to my heart, and I pray that it would encourage the hearts of your people now as we know that This gathering is primarily for the Christians to be fed and encouraged. Although we know that among us, there are no doubt some who need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're lost without Christ. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll just do your work all across this room now. Um, I pray that from this passage and what we see happen for the nation, uh, we know that Achan was uh, not able to have a comeback because... Your judgment fell upon him because he was so disobedient. But we see as a nation, they're allowed to to recover from uh, the defeat and from the disappointment uh, that they had at the city of High. Uh, Lord, I know that in this room today, there are some that need that encouragement to realize that you're not finished with them, that you have plans for them, that you have a future for them, and that 
What we need to do today is evaluate our own lives, be encouraged by the faithfulness of God, and then determine to be obedient to the commands of the Lord. So I pray now that your Holy Spirit will speak to us. Save the sinner that's lost without Christ. Holy Spirit, draw them to yourselves. I pray that you will clear my mind. I pray that you will cleanse my hands now and purify my heart and help me to say everything you want me to say and not to say that which I should not say. I pray that there would be eternal fruit born in this moment for your glory in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. The truth is we have all had a front row seat to our own failures. We've had a front row seat to our, our own personal sin when we've made choices that have gone against God and gone against His Word. Hopefully, as you have done that and lived that, you have responded properly. The proper response to that is to seek to be right with the Lord and to keep short accounts with Him. Unfortunately, we have all had a front row seat at times to the failures of others. We've seen friends and family, sometimes for me even others that are in ministry, uh, do what sometimes we call crash and burn, right? Just kind of uh, fall apart or, or their life gets uh, carried away into disobedience or sin, uh, going away from the Lord. And I hope in that case as well, just as you would respond properly to your own heart and your own life, that we always respond properly to those who have failures around us. Because we realize that we're all flesh tanks. Can I get a witness in the room? That we're all capable of anything. As we think about Achan's life and we think about what he did, there was something in his heart that drew him away from obedience to the Lord. Uh, his, his heart became overwhelmed with covetousness. And he thought maybe that he could get away with it, right? By hiding it under his tent. Maybe thinking that no one, humanly speaking, would ever notice or ever even know what he had done. We're reminded today that there is one watching at all times, and he certainly sees all things. It would be prudent for me to remind us today to be alert, to be aware, because we have an adversary. And that adversary is not wanting to bring us into a closer, more intimate, right relationship uh, with God, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but he's constantly working at planting things in our hearts and our minds that carry us away from him. I was reading Warren Wiersbe this week, and Warren Wiersbe said, it is much easier for us to identify the lion when he's roaring than to detect the serpent when he's slithering into our lives. Now, Peter wrote for us that the devil is like a roaring lion, right? And he's walking up and down, and he's seeking whom he may devour. But the devil does not always roar like a lion. We see that in the first three chapters of the Bible. He slithers up to Adam and Eve, and he tricks them, and he leads them into disobedience away from God. It's a reminder today that the enemy can slither into our lives. We need to follow Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it 
overcome all the issues of life. You see, Achan had a problem because his heart led him away from obeying the Lord. We finished up chapter 7, and it's a sad scene, right? I mean, chapter 7, verse 26, ends up with a heap of stones. A heap of stones that remain to this day. Achan brought trouble into the nation. He brought trouble, first of all, into his life. He brought trouble into his family, and then he brought trouble into the nation. And in God's plan and his judgment, that cost Achan his life. There's a little bit bigger picture, though, in Joshua chapter 8, in that the nation of Israel, God is not finished with them. They have suffered great defeat in chapter 7, 36 soldiers losing their life. But now in chapter 8, we read a story of the comeback. After Joshua calls the people together and he deals with the sin that's in the camp, they get things right, they get their life lined up, the nation lined back up in obedience to God. Now in chapter 8, there's a great comeback. I think everybody loves comeback stories, right? Someone that experiences a failure, uh, they maybe fall behind, they experience a loss, but they don't stay there. They come back and enjoy great victory. I was reading this week about comebacks. Tony Hoffman, in 2006, he was homeless. He became a drug addict. In 2007, he was placed in prison for armed robbery. Fast forward to 2014, Tony became a great BMX star, and he competed in the 2014 Olympics. He's known as a comeback story. How about Ulysses S. Grant? He was a drunkard who went bankrupt. His life completely fell apart, and he ultimately became the 18th president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln was somebody who experienced a lot of losses, a lot of disappointments. His life marred by several mistakes that he made. Many people wrote him off until 1860 he became the president of the United States. I came to church today with a little bit of sadness in my heart because March Madness ends tomorrow night. The last game of the NCAA tournament uh, if you didn't watch Duke and Carolina last night, you missed a blessing, all right? It was just a great game. I'm a basketball junkie, and when I think about basketball, I do not want you to uh, challenge me on this. I do not want to debate with you on this. There is no discussion to be had. Michael Jordan is the greatest player to ever play basketball. Can I get a witness? Don't come at me with LeBron James and all this other stuff. Michael Jordan, did you know that Michael Jordan was cut from his ninth grade freshman basketball team. Now, how would you like to go the rest of your life and be that coach that cut Michael Jordan from your basketball team? You know what? That didn't stop Michael Jordan. He just practiced harder, right? And then he came back, and you know the rest of his story. Led the Chicago Bulls to many world championships. The greatest player that ever played. He got a little bored in the middle of his career, and he said, you know what? I won all these championships, I'm going to quit, and I'm going to go play baseball. And so we were so excited. Michael Jordan uh, became a member of the Birmingham Barons in our hometown, 
And so he's on the baseball team, and obviously their attendance went up, right? It was a, a, a draw for the crowd. And then after a little bit of that time, he said, you know what? I'm bored with this, and Michael Jordan had a comeback. He came back to the NBA, and he won three more world championships. I was reading about Steve Jobs this week. How would you like to be fired from your own company? 1985. He was fired until 1997 when he came back. And the rest of the story is history concerning Apple and all of its projects. When you think about the Bible, I want you for just a minute to think about stories. They're going to pop in your head just like this of men and women in the Bible that had great comebacks. They had setbacks. They had failures. They had disappointments, but they did not stay that way and, and and let me say this about setbacks Matthew Henry said they are most in danger who are least aware of it they are most in danger who are least aware of it if we're not aware and if we're not alert we can have setbacks before we go to bed tonight uh, we can have setbacks this week in our life if we don't keep our mind right now look some of you in this room are going back in your life and you have had things happen in the last months or years or whatever, and you walked in here today, there's something in your past that God has already redeemed that you won't turn loose of. There's something that God has already forgiven you of that you have truly, best you know how in your heart, repented of that sin. You've kept a short account with God, and you've repented of your sin, and you've made things right with those around you, but yet today, that thing still has you paralyzed. I remind you today that God never throws up our past to us. Y'all calm down. Y'all don't seem real excited about that. The scripture says he takes our sin and he casts it as far as the east is from the west. Never to remember it. How about this? He takes our sin and he casts it into the depths of the sea. If you're alive today and you are breathing, I've got good news for you. God is not finished. God is not finished with you and your life. We see this principle in the nation of Israel. Now, in chapter 8, I want to give you just three things, three statements about the story of them going back to high, going against them in battle, and this time it's completely opposite. Instead of 36 of the soldiers from the nation of Israel losing their life, the city of Ai is defeated and destroyed, and the plunder is taken, which is always a thing of great victory for a nation when it goes into battle. Now, if you're taking notes, write down these three things. Here we go, all right? The first thing I want you to see in this story is that defeat does not have to define you. Defeat does not have to define you. Now, for some it does. For some it does. But we see this principle here as a, uh, someone who is in covenant relationship with God in Joshua's life, this moment for the nation it does not have to define them. Now look in Joshua chapter 8 and verse number 1. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, 
do not fear and do not be dismayed. Now here's the question. If somebody says to you, uh, don't be fearful, don't fret, don't be anxious, don't worry, why do we typically say that to one another? Because we are fearful, we are fretting, and we are worrying, right? They're just words of assurance. They're words of, of settling a troubled soul. Your soul is troubled. And trust me, trust me, Joshua knew that things were just not right. And if Joshua is a God-fearing, God-loving man, there is no way that he is not grieving in his heart over what he had to do and what just happened with Achan. He wasn't celebrating that. He was overwhelmed, no doubt. And in his mind, he's thinking, what's going to happen next? <laughs> or, or he's thinking, how do we move forward? How do we get past this? There's just, kind of, just kind of this lingering, no doubt, this lingering, unsettled discouragement over his life. I love what John Stott said. He said that discouragement is the occupational hazard of Christian ministry. Anybody in kingdom work ever get discouraged? I mean, I think about our planners, you know. I think about these church planners that we prayed for. You have no idea the stories of the things that they go through. Man, many of them are just trying to find a building to meet in, right? And then they get the meeting, they get the meeting place, and then they, they, you know, get their equipment together, and they've got everything set up, and they, whatever, and then they have their first Sunday, and nobody shows up. Nobody shows up. What do you think they want to do? Look, God, are you in this? God, should we keep doing this? Have we failed? Or how about this? You, you make a little bit of progress, and you get 20 or 30 people uh, that are coming, and about two-thirds of them are in one or two families, and those one or two families have to move somewhere. And then you're back down to six or seven or eight. And it's, it's true in all aspects of kingdom work, whether you're a pastor, whether you're uh, talking about family discipleship or kingdom work, how many of you know it is easy to become discouraged? And here's Joshua. He's battling it, right? He's battling it. He's battling keeping himself emotionally right and emotionally healthy and leading the people. And then on top of that, think about in your life how easy it is to get discouraged over your personal choices, your sin, and the mistakes you make. How many of you know the name J. Hudson Taylor? You recognize that name? Great missionary. Here's what he said about his own life. He said, every day, every day, almost every hour, the consciousness of failure and sin oppressed me. Now, this may not be you. This may not be you. If it's not, rejoice. Happy for you. And I mean that, praise God. But there's probably some people right now in this room that are going through something in your life. You've done something or there's some sin in your life. And almost every day, you're living with this consciousness of this failure. And it's not encouraging. It's oppressive. You feel defeated. Many times we have a low view of God. And we forget what God's word has said about us and about our failures. That our failures do not have to oppress us and define us. That when we sin, when we fail, when we make mistakes, we bring them before God and we get right with him. And those things are under the blood. 
Anybody in the room that can just say, man, I rejoice over that today? And always remember this, when you walk on here on Sunday, everybody around you are not perfect little angels that have never done anything. We've all got our struggles, right? We've all got our failures. We've all got our things that we uh, ha- have dealt with. And, and I think about Achan's sin. Now, we're talking now primarily for, for the nation of Israel. Achan's sin is in the past. And when I read Joshua 8, 1 and 2, God says, okay, you're going into high this time, and I'm going to allow you to take the spoil. And I have to wonder in my mind, what if Achan would have just been patient What if you would have just been patient in God's timing? And always remember this. When we do sin, when we do fail, how we handle those things, those defeats, it says a lot about our view of God. It says a lot about His grace, His mercy. It says a lot about our understanding of forgiveness and knowing that our sin does not have to define us. Look, look at your Bible over and over. I could give you many, many illustrations, but let me just give you one. Did Samson mess up? Did he mess up royally? I've got a book in my office. Some of the men in the church have read it. I carried some of you through it a few years ago. It's called the Samson Syndrome. And it talks about all the different junctures in Samson's life when he could have made better decisions, but he messed up, right? And it cost him his eyesight. And here he is, he's, he's uh, in prison, he's locked up. And what does the scripture say about him? He did greater works in his death than he did in his life. Isn't that what it says? That his defeat did not define him. Now let me say this. I think it's important for us as Christians to keep short accounts with God and to be willing to be willing to identify and confess our sin. Those three letters, S-I-N, that's a bad word in these days, is it not? Sin. Sin. What is sin? Sin is lawlessness. Sin is going against what God has said in His Word. And as a Christian, we ought to certainly have that foundational principle in our life. That sin is sin. If God has decreed, if God has said no, then he means no. If God has said yes, then he means yes. That this book is not outdated, it's not archaic, it's not something that we should ignore no matter what the culture says. This book right here is our authority. 66 books. And as Christians, we run to it. We're going to see this at the end of the chapter in a minute. But we run to this. We run to this book. And we let this book speak and make judgments about our life, about our behavior. And quite frankly, sometimes we make judgments on the behaviors of those around us as it lines up to what God has said in His Word. Now let me show you something here, a big difference. There's a big difference in being judgmental and making a judgment. There's a big difference in being judgmental and making a judgment. What we see from Joshua at the end of chapter 7 is Joshua made a judgment based off of what God said don't do and someone around him did it. He made a judgment based off of direct disobedience to God. How many of you have been around or maybe at some time in your life you've been a judgmental person? Oh, come on, there's like two of us here. 
We can be judgmental. I've been around judgmental people. Just critical, judge, judge everything. There's a difference between being judgmental and making a judgment. How do we make our judgments? Well, people say, well, judge not that you be not judged. That's not what that verse is saying. It's saying don't be judgmental, not you can't make a judgment. First Peter says, judgment must begin where? Where does judgment begin? It begins at the house of God. It begins in our lives and in our hearts, the body of Christ. It begins with us, that we look into the Word, we look into our life, we realize, admit, confess that we have disobeyed God, that we have been lawless in our actions, and then we, we confess that to Him and the beauty of the gospel, the redemptive gospel of Jesus Christ is this. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He takes that thing, whether you took some of the spoil from Jericho, whether you have bitterness in your heart, whether you lie, whether you commit adultery, I could go on and on and on and on. Whatever sin it is in our life, God takes that sin when we confess it and He casts it into the ocean. Hear me today. Our defeats do not have to define us. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. He's not done with them. And God says to Joshua, Joshua, I know it would be easy back to Joshua chapter 8, verse number 1. Charlie, if you'll put that back up there. Joshua, I know it would be easy for you to be fearful. I, I will admit to you today that I struggle with that right there. Can, can somebody help me here? Do we need to start a therapy group? Anybody in here find yourself being fearful these days? Anybody find yourself being dismayed? Well, God sent us here today to say, hey, don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. What you need to do is obey me in real time, and I'll be faithful and I'll see you through. So what does he tell Joshua to do? Joshua, I want you to take all the fighting men with you. Arise and go to high. Now notice, see, I have given into your hand the king of high and his people, his city, and his land. God says the, the battle's over this time. Verse 2. And you shall do to high and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Notice that God gives him a directive. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Now, write down the second thing. Number one, defeat does not have to define you. But number two, direction does not have to come from you. Direction does not have to come from you. I am so glad to confess to you today that as a pastor, it was a wonderful moment for me when I really realized that I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to have all the answers. How many of you have learned that it's okay to tell somebody I don't know? I mean, come on now, listen, hear me. If, if you're one of those people, somebody asks you something, you always know the answer, you, you got problems, Okay because you don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. 
Back to that fear thing. <laughs> Back to that fear thing about being dismayed. Are you kidding me? If we just sat around all the time and feasted on the culture and the world and everything that's going on around us, we would just all stay paralyzed, right? But I know that the Lord knows the way through the wilderness. The Lord knows the way ahead. I don't have to have it all figured out nor have all the answers, but what I need to do is just follow him. There's a big difference in Joshua 8, 3 through 29 than Joshua chapter 7. Here it is. In Joshua chapter 7, the attitude of the people was what? We've got this. We've got this. What's the report that comes back? Uh, don't worry about high. No big deal. We send about 3,000 so soldiers up there. We'll wipe them out in no time. This will be easy. And what happened? What happened? They found themselves on the run and 36 people unnecessarily losing their life. What is the message in that for us today? Here it is. We had better be careful in being overconfident in our abilities. We had better be careful about being overconfident in our talents. I heard a pastor say several years ago that he was afraid today that many churches, just based off talents and abilities, could continue to function and do what they do as a church apart from the Spirit of God, just simply relying on talents and abilities. That's not the way the Lord's work happens. We depend on the Lord, not on ourselves. So chapter 7 is, we've got this. Chapter 8, I love this, is God's got this. Hear me today, Christian, God's got this. Whatever is going on in your life today, God's got this. Our culture, the world today, God's got this. He, he's not lost control. He's completely in control today. What we need to do is submit to Him and follow His direction for our lives. I've learned that His plans work out a whole lot better than mine. The battle plan for the city of High is right the opposite of the battle of Jericho, right? You know why? Because God works in unusual ways and God works in a variety of ways. Joshua, I want you to go. We're going to ambush them this time. Your assignment is to read 3 through 29. Joshua takes 30,000 soldiers, probably 30 units of 1,000. And there's a lot of history you can read about that. Uh, special ops, special soldiers, commandos, whatever. He divides the group up and he tells the people this. We're going to go against the front. We're going to come from the north and we're going to attack the city and the king is going to look out and see us coming just like last time. What we're going to do this time is we're going to have an ambush. God told him to do this, verse number two. We're going to have a group of soldiers over in the ravine so when they come out against us to attack us, like they did last time, we're going to circle around behind them, and we're going to ambush the city and set it on fire, and we'll have them trapped. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Isn't it interesting, don't miss this, what got the nation of Israel in trouble in chapter 7 is what ultimately defeated High in chapter 8, and that is overconfidence. Because the idea is the king will look out and say, oh, there they are again. We'll do the same thing and drive them back. We'll defeat them this time 
just like we did last time. Once again, overconfidence always leads to defeat. And so they go against the city, and sure enough, the plan works. I want you to notice one important detail, though, what God tells Joshua to do in verse number 18. The Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward high, for I will give it into your hand. Anybody see a parallel there? You remember Moses? When Moses raised up his arms, and as long as he kept his arms raised, the nation was winning. He got tired, and they held his arms up, right? Because it was so important. God said, Joshua, hold that javelin up. I want you to hold it up. You read on down into the chapter. It says in verse number 26 that Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of high to destruction. Now, leadership requires planning. Okay? Let's admit that. Leadership requires planning. Planning is important. But I tell you what I found out in my 30 years of ministry, there are times when we have planned and God looks down and he laughs. 2020 was one of those years, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love your calendar. I really do. But I'm, I've got something else I'm doing right now. So, so leadership, leadership plans, but leadership's plans do not supersede God's plans. God's plans matter. God's plans are the best. And Joshua knew that. Joshua, I want you to hold that javelin out, and as long as you hold it out, we're going to win the battle. Follow the Lord's plans. I love what Del Davis said. He said, with the power of God, Jericho could be taken. Without it, even the smallest city can't be won. Think about it. With God, they destroyed Jericho. With Ai, they couldn't defeat little old Ai. But you know what? They defeated this time because God is on their side. It just reminds me that in your life today, you may be searching for answers about your future. You may be searching for answers about your marriage, your spiritual life, your future, your walk with the Lord, whatever it may be. And God wanted me to remind you that you don't have to have it all figured out. Your plans might crash and burn. <laughs> but His plans are perfect. And His plans are best. Direction does not have to come from you. So don't be fearful and don't be dismayed about the future just obey Him today and do what He has commanded you to do right now. Let me finish up my favorite part of the sermon. Favorite part. So you got to read 3 through 29 today. The king of high is burned and another pile of stones, the end of 28, 29, another pile of stones are set to this day. And I want you to notice so far in the book of Joshua, there's been four sets of stones, right? Four sets of stones. Number one, there's stones at Gilgal, a memorial to the parting of the Jordan River. There's another set of stones at the end of chapter 7. That is from Achan's sin in the valley of Achor. There's another set of stones here now at the entrance to High, where the king is covered 
into a heap of ruins. But notice in verse 30 to 35, there's another set of stones that is erected on Mount Ebal. Now this is so interesting because between verse 29 and verse 30, there's 20 to 30 miles of traveling, okay? So you don't go from 29 right into 30. There's a distance here where Joshua builds an altar to the Lord. He builds an altar on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel. Now, what is he talking about? Look on the screen at Deuteronomy chapter 27. In the law, God planned ahead. Moses, tell the people, this is what I want them to do. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse number 2. The scripture says that when you pass over into the land, when you pass over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. Verse number 3. And you shall write on them all the words of this law. When you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. There's a reason why Joshua 8, 30 to 35 is happening. It's not by accident. They're doing this as a step of obedience. Let me give you one little tidbit. You can study this on your own. In this particular section, 30 to 35, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls there at Qumran, in some of the scrolls that they have uh, read through and, of course, studied over, this section of these verses is actually placed at the end of Joshua chapter 4. Why? Because that's the actual moment where they crossed over the Jordan River, and so they're placed there uh, to chronologically show that this was a moment of obedience. But most scholars say that these verses are in the right place. Now notice, when we get together to do this, look in Deuteronomy 27 and verse number 12, there's something else we're going to do. When you've crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Now these are the tribes, right? These are the uh, descendants of Rachel and Leah, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And then on Mount Ebal, these shall stand, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Now you're seeing this actually uh, acted out here at the end of Joshua chapter 8. Let me show you a pretty cool picture. A couple things and I'll finish up. This is a picture of those two mountains, okay? Mount Gerizim in the south, Mount Ebal in the north. What's interesting is here in the middle is what we know as the city or the area of Shechem. Now Shechem is not mentioned here in this, in this passage, in this text, but we know that this is the spot where Abraham came in Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, and he received the promise of the land. The scripture also says that Jacob, when he came back from exile, he came to this place called Shechem. So if you'll think about Shechem here in Joshua 8, what you see is a picture of half of the people on one side of the mountain, the other half uh, on, on Jerusalem, the other half over on Mount Ebal, 
And then Shechem is the place where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's the place where this event uh, actually happened. Now, Shechem is 40 miles north of Jerusalem, and it's an important place to the people of God. It says here that Joshua built an altar. He built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed to the people. He took, or sacrificed to the Lord. He took stones, uncut stones, and he made this altar of sacrifice to the Lord. He took and he wrote on those stones the law of Moses. And then he read the law to everyone word for word. Now notice this altar that is on Mount Ebal. This altar has been debated for literally centuries. Is this the altar is this the altar that Joshua offered the sacrifice and wrote on the stones? And so there's been this push and this pull about it, okay? It's not a national park. It's not a national monument. Uh, it's just, is it, is it not? At times, people have grabbed some of these stones to do other things. And, uh, man, some of the people just uh, pitch a fit about that, right? Don't you touch that. Don't you touch that. That's an altar to the Lord by Joshua. And so that debate has gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, just this past week, there was a press conference that was had in Israel, and they revealed one of the stones that had some writing on it that they had found on Mount Ebal around this altar. And the stone was actually found in 2019, but they did not rush to conclusions. They did not rush to, uh, you know, to reveal what the stone said. They go through all of this process to verify and so forth and so on. And they had a press conference now. They made their conclusion. And this is what they said is on the stone. Let me read it to you. Cursed, cursed, cursed. Cursed by the God Yahweh. You will die cursed. Cursed, you will surely die. Cursed by Yahweh. Cursed, cursed, cursed. Now what does your Bible say? Look at your Bible here. This ought to give you goosebumps a little bit. What does your Bible say? That Mount Gerizim, back to the two mountains, if you would, Charlie. Mount Gerizim is the mountain of the blessings. So what does Joshua do? He reads Deuteronomy 27, 28, blessings, cursings, blessings, cursings. Gerizim is the place of blessings. And I would add, do you remember back in John chapter 4, when Jesus is at the well, the woman at the well? What was the question that she asked him? She said, is the time now for us to worship on Mount Gerizim where our fathers worship or should we go to Jerusalem? And Jesus said, neither, neither, of course, because he came as the Messiah. Gerizim is the mountain of blessings. Ebal is the mountain of cursings. And there's a lot of spiritual pictures there that I don't have time to get into except to say, notice that there are uncut stones, uncut stones. So there's no tool to be used, just a flat stone, nothing done by man. Why is that significant? Because man can't do anything to be right with God on our own, apart from him, right? Evil is the place of the curse. We are all cursed. We are all under the curse. And Jesus came and took the curse for us so that we could have a right relationship with God, so that we could be right with God. What is the significance of this moment? The, mo the, mo the significance is God wants to give them a reminder 
of the importance of being right with Him. So let me give you the third thing. The third thing we see in these verses is the importance of being right. And when we're right, we often need reminders. Reminders help us to align our life. What is He doing in, excuse me, lost my voice. What's He doing in Joshua 8, 30 to 35? He's reminding them of the commands of the Lord. Now listen, Christian, in your walk with the Lord, if you want to be and you want to do what God has called you to do and be, you need reminders, which means you need to be in the Word. You need to be in the Scripture. What is this gathering here for? What is this gathering here for every week? It's not so much that you're going to come and you're going to learn something new but you're going to be reminded of who God is and what Jesus did for us on the cross. So maybe today you're at a point in your life where you need to come back. You need to get get back where you're supposed to be. Come. Come to the altar and get right with the Lord. Make sure your relationship is right with Him and give your life to Him and surrender completely. You can make a comeback. Your past does not have to define you. God wants to give you direction in your daily life. And we often need reminders of what it means to follow Him. He is faithful. What He calls us to is obedience. Last thing and I'm done. The month of April is Easter. And I can't finish without saying the greatest comeback The greatest comeback ever is not Michael Jordan. The greatest comeback is when Satan thought that he had defeated our Lord and Savior. He thought he was done. He died. They buried him in the tomb. He thought it was over. But three days later, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. And because, and because, amen, amen. So on Easter Sunday, I'm going to preach on why Easter matters. Why Easter matters. Because Jesus came out of that grave. We have been called to the resurrected life to live in victory and joy. Listen, you may be defeated today. God says, I want to bring you back to where you need to be and give you back what you lost, your joy. I want to restore you and put you back where you're supposed to be. I've got good news for you today. He's waiting. Child of God, He's waiting. He's waiting on you. Would you stand with me?